You don't have to be a CEO of a tech company to change the world. You can be an average person and have a huge impact on the world. You know, as a consumer, we vote with our forks three times a day, essentially. Three times a day, we decide to participate in a system that is aligned with our values. We can choose to act on our empathic values and choices. And we have that opportunity as consumers and citizens to participate and support systems that are aligned with those or not. So not everyone has to be a CEO of a tech company to make the world a better place. That's Micah Risk, who joins Alexis Fox this week on the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody, what's going on? What's happening? How are you? My name is Rich Roll. I am your host, host of the podcast, where I have the great privilege, the great honor of going long form, deep and wide with some of the most interesting, thought-provoking and inspiring thought leaders and positive change makers all across the globe. And the primary idea behind these conversations is to curate a sort of multidisciplinary masterclass in personal and professional development that's all designed, all oriented around helping you and me, of course, unlock and unleash our best, most authentic selves. So thank you so much for tuning in today, for sharing the show with your friends and on social media, for reviewing the show and for subscribing to the show on iTunes. And of course, for always using the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com for all your Amazon purchases. Uh, If you're inspired to support the mission even further, uh, now you can do that. We set up a Patreon account and you can find that at patreon.com forward slash richroll. We're brought to you today by Momentus. Over the last 16 years, I can safely say that I have tried almost every single plant-based protein out there. And I can tell you that most of them are highly processed with tons of additives and or they taste terrible, they're not third-party tested or simply just don't hit the nutritional bullseye with a legit science-supported formula with the appropriate amino acid profile that promotes optimal nutrient absorption, which is all just a long way of saying how enthusiastic I was to be introduced to Momentus's 100% plant-based protein, which solves for all of the above and then some with a precise blend of pea and rice proteins, which yields a complete amino acid profile, tastes great, and has become my go-to to to ensure my body is supplied with energy for proper recovery and function. Momentous products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentous's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentous for yourself by going to livemomentous.com slash richroll for 20% off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S dot com slash richroll for 20% off. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. 
technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. All right, this week's conversation is just great. It's a super fun, dynamic, and informative discussion with my friends Alexis Fox and Micah Risk, who are two amazing entrepreneurs on this laudable mission to challenge the standard American diet. And they're doing that through some rather brilliant new technology that for lack of a better phrase, simply helps the world eat better. Together, they co-founded this new company called Lighter, which is a really interesting 
powerful new online platform that offers insanely useful grocery lists and flexible weekly menus and soon even grocery delivery. And it's all based on the recommendations from leading health gurus, athletes, super parents, and badass world changers. Uh, I've even got a profile on Lighter, so if you want to follow my eating recommendations, all customized for you and packed with performance-enhancing foods, uh, you can do that by going to lighter.world, and I'll put a link up to the specific URL for my profile in the show notes. Uh, in any event, Micah is this badass endurance athlete. She's an accomplished runner, marathoner, ultra runner, and mom with a background working with the World Health Organization. She's got a graduate degree from the Friedman School of Nutrition Science and Policy at Tufts, and she rocks some pretty awesome tattoos. You might have even seen her on the cover of Runner's World. She actually appeared twice in one year, which is amazing. She was the one styling compression socks with the word vegan on them, which is uh, pretty bold for a publication like Runner's World. In any event, Alexis is like the ying to Micah's yang. She's a former debate champion, an improv comedian. She is an attorney, a former Massachusetts state director for the Humane Society, and a college professor who lost 45 pounds after going plant-based and was inspired to start lighter by her life partner, Josh Balk, who is the co-founder of Hampton Creek Foods. Uh, the history between these two, this dynamic duo, is really fascinating. Uh, although both of them have dedicated their entire lives to helping fix our broken food system, neither of them ever imagined that they would be running a tech company, and yet, here they are, and I'm glad they did because what they're building is really impressive and powerful. Uh, Micah and Alexis are two of my favorite people, just powerful women leaders working hard to bring about positive change, and I just love this conversation. It's a conversation about food policy and politics. It's about our broken food system and how we can fix it. It's a conversation about what commonly holds people back and the importance of community building, support, and accountability in the interest of promoting and sustaining healthy life changes. Uh, it's a conversation about female empowerment, team building, and the underrated power of the individual to galvanize positive global change. So with all that said, please enjoy this conversation with Alexis Fox and Micah Risk. We have uh, on later essentially so many people that you've interviewed. It's really uh -huh. funny. Mm -hmm. Kaylee sent me a list. I was like, oh yeah, that's. Yeah, I know. When people. I look on later, I see, I'm like, oh yeah, all these people have been on the podcast. <laughs> and even at Plant Stock this last weekend, I was like, oh, it's like a roundup of all these people yeah. that I've already had. And the people that I haven't had are obviously people on the list to get soon, right. you know? And same with, you know, Neil's conference and all the documentaries that are coming out. It's kind of cool. You'll, to see a documentary and go, oh, these are all the people that I've had on the show. Like I have right. a curated, you know, mm -hmm. library mm -hmm. of long form conversations with all these amazing people. I feel like we're all so. growing together. That, that's yeah. how really I feel. And I also, I also think it is uh, amazing to think about the history of this movement and how we were all very different from the mainstream, but as mainstream, as our ideas become more and more mainstream, mm -hmm where we were there first and we are the experts in this and um and we know each other and so everyone's kind of coming up and finding their voice and being listened to now and mm -hmm. it's very cool to see it yeah it's cool and i should point out for the listener that that was alexis speaking <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so we're gonna, it's always tricky when you have three people, it's like, who is that talking? And then Micah <laughs> oh, yeah. say hi. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks, how are I'm you? I'm so happy to have you guys on the podcast. This is Thank great, you. it's been a long time coming and I'm really excited about uh, your collaboration and everything that you guys are building, it's really cool. And you guys are definitely, you know, powerful female leaders in this movement and it's much needed and it's, a privilege to give you guys a microphone and help share your very cool message. Well, we are absolutely honored to be here. Yeah, cool. So absolutely. we've, it's been a cool month because I hung out with you guys in DC at Neil Bernard's conference. Mm -hmm. And then you guys were at Plantstock or Alexis was at Plantstock. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was fun too. And yeah. now here we are together. So I feel like we've been hanging out a lot lately. I and so the time is good. <laughs> Hopefully we're not too talked out and we can find things to talk about on the podcast. So I think we'll find something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in kind of canvassing these conferences, whether it's Neil's in Washington or, or you know, Plantstock last weekend, I mean, what are you kind of, what are you taking away from those experiences that are helping inform what you guys are building? Well, for me specifically for the uh, Physicians Committee Conference and Plantstock, they are both conferences that are associated with food as medicine. And so that's new for me. Micah is the, a mm -hmm. nutritionist. Micah's been in this for a long time. I've seen it from my own life, but I haven't necessarily uh, had formal training in it. And um, to meet people who are trying to save lives, so the doctors who are coming to these conferences are on the front lines of uh, chronic disease. They, the, this is not statistics for them. This is somebody who has sat in their office and learned that they might die soon. Mm -hmm. And the sense of urgency that they bring to trying to help people switch to a plant-based diet, I think it's, it's removed from maybe some of the other people in the movement who are doing it more generally to save the world or generally to solve a problem. Uh, it feels much more acute to them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think what I've taken away is the need to, um, the deep sense of urgency, the time is of the essence for us to figure out ways to actually help people switch to a plant-based diet because there are people dying uh, because of the standard American diet. And the sooner we create solutions, the sooner we can save their lives. Yeah, and I think you know those two events sort of are in contrast to each other to the extent that that Neil's event was really uh, the audience for that was healthcare and medical professionals mm -hmm. and plant stock was you know consumers like mm -hmm. citizens and, and and I don't know if you noticed this but a lot of the people that were at plant stock are people that have are in the process of recovering from some pretty serious mm -hmm. health conditions like a lot of people that are either you know obese or are suffering from diabetes or are on the back side of that and mm -hmm. in, in the curative you know kind of era of mm -hmm. that and amazing stories but that the acuteness of it really was palpable at that event because oh. you see these people who are like their lives are literally on the line you know and they're but, turning it around yeah i mean i i sat next to i sat across from um at dinner on saturday two guys uh who are coming up from long island they um, both have diabetes and they, they have neuropathy, which means that they are starting to lose feeling in their limbs. And, mm -hmm. and that's a clear sign that they may lose limbs soon. Uh, they drove, I don't know how many hours, probably five hours to be there. They spent a lot of money to be there mm -hmm. to learn how to save their lives. And um, 
they're so lost and they both work at a jail and one of the things they said because the jail feeds them uh it's hard to bring food into the jail but they're so sick like so sick and yet the jail is feeding them this food that now they're learning mm -hmm. they kill them and one of them said which was heartbreaking i just don't think they care if we live much past retirement right because then they don't have to pay out on their <laughs> yeah Oh, that's so horrible and it's awful. It's so horrible. Not and to mention how, how difficult it must be to work in that kind of an environment every single day and the kind of toll on your mental and emotional body that yeah. must take. Yeah, it's very, it's, um, I, I don't know if we always think about those acute cases where someone is literally, and you can reverse it so quickly, you know, the, the ability to change could happen very quickly for him. He's right on the edge. And we, of course, gave him all of our contact info. And I was with Kaylee, our RD, and she commented, she was like, mm -hmm. I just want to take him home and cook for him for <laughs> the next month or two. Um, so you feel it much more acutely at these events. Yeah, and, and, and they also have the opportunity to meet and rub elbows with success stories, you know, right. like the Josh Lajanis and the Adam Suits and all right. these people that have like experienced, you know, health turnarounds as a result of the lifestyle. Right, and one of the things that we talk about a lot at Lighter, uh, one of our, our original website was Lighter Culture, and now it's just mm -hmm. uh, lighter.world, but one of the reasons we use the word culture is when you're asking people to reject standard American diet, you're essentially asking them to reject standard American culture. And you can't ask people to reject our dominant culture and then be alone. Mm -hmm. Humans don't do that. We're tribal creatures. That's such we an important point. We want to be point. with people. And so we need to give them an alternative community to belong to. And I think that's what's so important about plant stock and other community events like this. You're not, we're not just giving a one-way message, you should change your behavior and reject everything you've ever known and all the people you've ever known and all the traditions you've ever known and be alone. We're saying, if you want to save your life, you probably should not be eating that way. But guess what? Now you get to join this incredible other culture, this joyful culture, this community of people that is um, healing themselves and is uh, changing the world. And it, it feels much more like you're a part of something mm -hmm. uh, bigger than yourself. And I think people who get there, who get to connect with the successful stories, that get to connect with leaders in the movement, that get to meet other people who are on this journey, that's when you really can ensure that they will be able to make the change. Yeah, you can't do it alone. I mean, community is absolutely essential if you want to, you know, take an insurance policy out on long-term success. You just okay. you can't you can't go it alone. I think, you know, the paleo community has done an amazing job of yeah. cultivating community yes. around, you know, their lifestyle and, you know, CrossFit is a great example of that, like bringing people in and and creating support systems. And I think that the you know, the plant-based community is traditionally or historically a little bit more fractured and mm -hmm. has struggled with trying to get their message aligned to the extent that it will resonate with the mainstream audience and, mm -hmm. and create that. So mm -hmm. I think the aspiration in that regard is a, a great investment. Yeah, and I think the more that we can do as a community to consciously build and be open to bringing people in and to nurturing those relationships and to building connections to people who are new. Um, the more we can do that, I think the more successful we'll be in our efforts. It's not just about providing information. That's that's necessary, but not sufficient. Uh -huh. All right, so how is Lighter gonna solve this problem, Micah? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we've 
done what we can. We've started to create this community that welcomes people in. We've um, been celebrating and trying to spread this celebratory message of what it means to, uh, or how it feels to live a cleaner life and to eat better. Um, we've built tools to help people make that transition a little bit easier. We have over, I think, 1,400 recipes, so in the thousands of recipes, um, tailored to different kinds of preferences, food allergies, cooking time, cooking skill, all of those different elements. And we try to match up these tools, these, this set of tools, to people who are struggling with this transition or at the beginning of this transition and are kind of overwhelmed by all of the options out there, mm-hmm. uh, trying to make that transition easier in, in, a, way, in a way that is um, much, um, I don't know, much cleaner, more mm-hmm. fluid. Um, I think one thing that the paleo community has done really well is they've branded what they're doing and what their message is in a really clear way. And like you said, we're kind of fractured. The plant-based community is kind of fractured in how we're communicating what we are, what we believe in, who we are, um, and and the kind of effect we want to have on the world and our motivations for that and whatnot. So being the next step in that uh, and creating a tool that fits really everyone, anyone and everyone, uh, to make that transition a little bit easier, trying to um, address where those fractures are and, mm-hmm. and give a complete toolbox or package for people mm-hmm. is, I think, what we've really been focusing on building the last couple of years. So so if I'm, a, let's say I'm a consumer, let's say I just went to plant stock, right? Mm-hmm. And like I'm overweight or, you know, I'm ready for that change. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I met you and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm ready. Like I'm mm-hmm. going to lighter. Like, how does it work? Like, how, how does it, yeah. how, do, how does like somebody begin this process? So we have, um, we have, profiled some of the heroes of our movement uh, on the site. And so when you first come onto the landing page, uh, a person who's ready for ready for change can see um, people who might inspire them. So they're, we lead with people. We don't lead with the information about mm. why someone should adopt. You're not going to shame side. somebody immediately. No, <laughs> no we're going to kind of say, who are your people? So you can look uh-huh. for athletes or you can look for health gurus or you can look for uh, super parents if you're a parent. And uh, what most people are doing is they're going and they're finding a, uh, a person who resonates with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say I'm a mom, I might follow Micah, for instance, who is a mom. And then you can read her story and see what her general food style is. Um, and this normalizes our way of eating, right? So you can see her food style, see her nutrition guidelines, and then they can follow her general nutrition guidelines, but customized for them. So we take into consideration things like, and this is how we're creating this toolbox that really addresses people's needs. Uh, What allergies are in their home? What kind of kitchen equipment they have? How much time they have to cook? uh, If there's any foods that they don't like. And then we are customizing a menu for the actual person. Um, And then we give them a grocery list and soon that's grocery delivery. Hmm. And I think it's exciting for someone who's just coming in just to learn more or to start their journey, we see it being particularly exciting for plant-based doctors and healthcare providers, which um, is the group of people that we've been working with most closely recently because the world that we are about to build is a world in which someone can go to their doctor, say it's a mom, she goes to her doctor, she finds out she's at risk for heart disease, 
But instead of being sent to, let's say, Walmart to pick up a prescription, she's sent to Walmart to pick up a bag of heart-healthy groceries. Mm -hmm. We're in this incredible moment in time where two trends are colliding. The first is that grocery is finally becoming digital. This means that the databases of all the inventory of a grocery store is finally coming online. And grocery stores are now connecting with, um, with delivery services. So for instance, Walmart is now doing grocery delivery and grocery pickup. So you can drive into a Walmart and pick up, uh, it almost looks like a gas station. You drive your car up and you put in what you had ordered and then they come out and they deliver your groceries. Instacart is delivering off out of um, grocery stores like uh, Whole Foods and other local stores. You have Amazon that's starting to do Amazon Fresh mm -hmm. and deliver groceries. Uh, and Google's getting into it too. So, so that those databases are digital. And then we have doctors who wanna be able to prescribe nutrition, but they don't have access to the food or the supply and they don't deliver groceries. Mm -hmm. And it's not quite as easy as writing a prescription for a pill. And so lighter fills that gap where the doctor can send somebody to their lighter profile. Um, Neil Barnard, for instance, Dr. Barnard has different profiles for different disease states like heart health, diabetes care, weight control. Send them there. We customize that menu for them. We give them, then they choose what they want to eat, and then the groceries are delivered. That's amazing. So definitely not one size fits all, which has kind of been the way it's always been, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, this is what you want to do. Like, here's your 30-day plan. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't matter where you live or who you mm -hmm. are or what your constraints are financially mm -hmm. or geographically. Uh, does it take into account, like, where you live? Like, oh, I live in a urban food desert, or I live in the middle of a, you know, cornfield in Iowa, and I can't, there's no market or whatever. Does it, like, account for what's available? It will, it will. Right now, uh, the way that you can adjust that is if you're following a whole food plant-based diet, then usually the food is everywhere. If you're following somebody like, let's say David Carter, who's, uh, who's mm -hmm. been on the show and is a good friend of ours, he uses some whole foods and then he also uses some transitional foods. So he'll have Gardein in there, or he'll have uh, Tofurky or um, some of those other products. So those are not widely available everywhere. But when someone has limited access to those kinds of foods, and honestly, we've been using 126 countries already. Wow. So it's not just for the United States, and obviously those products are not available in all of those countries. Mm -hmm. So we just direct them to a whole food plant-based diet, and then the beans are available and the lentils are available and, and we can direct them to those basic foods. So this is a pretty crazy like backend tech algorithm heavy like sort of thing that you're trying to build, right? Like Oh yeah. So we <laughs> so like, I mean here's it's not just like here's your menu. Oh no. no have a good life, you know. No, I mean here's here's the thing. We have seen software radically change uh, Goliath industries that were entrenched very quickly. So we've seen Airbnb just change the game in in hospitality and, and in hotels. We've seen Uber totally upend the um, cab industry, right? Software has an amazing power to change and we're in 2016. So we don't necessarily need to use static meal plans anymore. We can use dynamic 
platforms that take into consideration all of the needs of someone and mm -hmm. essentially serve in the same uh, way that someone who could just sit next to a person and actually mm -hmm. share that with them. And so Micah and I, neither of us are technical. We have, <laughs> we never, neither of us ever expected to be running a tech company, but we very much are. And um, we have uh, four engineers that are, you know, uh, with us. Um, we have a data scientist. We've got a whole team of technical people who are all the code monkeys. Yeah, well, mm. they're amazing, but they're they're putting their amazing superpowers to work to help uh, transform the way we eat. And I, I think it's a deeply powerful effort um, because it really can just. Uh, the possibilities are endless and it's so scalable, right? So a hundred, I mean, we launched this new platform five months ago and mm -hmm. it's been in 126 countries. That's amazing, We're right? We're kind of and popular the, the, in Australia. Are you really? Yeah. I'm not surprised. This podcast is really popular <laughs> oh. there too. I think the community of people that are into this stuff in Australia is really robust. So well, Australia, we love you too. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the grocery delivery aspect of it is not quite live, right? Like that's coming soon. Right. So we're secretly testing it right now. I see. Which is <laughs> not so secretly. You just said it, right? Don't worry. No one's listening. Um, it's, I don't think that we... I mean, there's lots of think pieces about this. It's certainly no secret, but I still think with everything being said, we still don't fully appreciate just how extraordinary this moment in time is where mm -hmm. we're on the precipice of things changing so dramatically with the self-driving cars and the drones and, the, and everything going to digital and the big data that comes with that and what can be mined from that, good and bad. Yep. Um, but it's quite remarkable when you kind of play it through and the possibilities for, you know, business and improving our lives, you know, if we don't destroy ourselves yeah. first, you know, <laughs> are really amazing. So it's pretty cool. I mean, how did you first come up with this idea? Like how did the, mm. what is the genesis of Do you want to tell our, our meetings? Yeah. yeah. Honestly, um, well, it came, it came about through some trial and error, um, but to take it all the way back, Alexis and I have been in the same kind of social space um, around the same activists and uh, for, I don't know, probably since we were teenagers, yeah. I was probably 18 or 19, mm -hmm. um, but we met three years ago. Yeah. But there's a photo of us when we were really young in the same, we're, we're, it's two different photos, but we're in the same room. In D.C. When oh, we were really? really young. When I was wow. 18. Mm -hmm. In D.C., but did you guys both grow up in Boston? No. no, I'm from New York. Oh, you are? Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm from North Carolina, okay. so very different. So you were like animal rights activists, or what was going on? We definitely cared about yeah. uh, uh -huh. ending factory farming. Gotcha. Okay, mm -hmm. so you were like you were like doing your thing in Washington. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. That young, that's crazy. Yeah. But you didn't, you didn't know each other, but you were in the no. same kind of circles. No, yeah. we met three years ago. Um, I was just out of grad school looking for uh, some job opportunities, and Alexis was the state director for HSUS in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was really interested in the Meatless Mondays campaign that uh, HSUS was doing, so we met for coffee to talk about that. At least that's what I thought we were talking about. That's not what I thought we were talking about. Uh, and during that <laughs> cup of coffee, Alexis proposed business to me. <laughs> that is true. And uh, and then we started lighter like at that mm. coffee shop, at that initial meeting. Uh, and for the next year, we did a lot of listening. We were doing a lot of 
different kinds of nutrition services, more traditional st traditional style nutrition services. And so the core like kind of message at that moment, like what was the mission statement at the inception mm -hmm. of Lighter? Well, we didn't have one. So uh, I, um, I had been inspired to go into business as opposed to keep staying with a nonprofit um, because of the experience of my um, partner romantic partner, not business mm -hmm. partner, um, who co-founded Hampton Creek Foods and just saw this incredible intersection of entrepreneurship, venture capital, and mission. Uh, and I saw how much faster it was than the work I was doing in the political sphere. Um, so I I had heard about Micah. Micah is um, uh, kind of a celebrity in Boston and everyone knows about Micah in Boston mm -hmm. and I had heard a lot about her and um, so I thought oh she'd be a great person maybe to to work together on a company but the first book that we read was called Lean Startup uh, which is if anyone is interested in starting a company especially if it has to do with tech it's a great book and they suggest that you don't just walk in and say, this is what we're doing. You do micro experiments. It's like running a science experiment. Mm -hmm. You have a hypothesis of what your company is going to be and how you'll solve the problem, but you test it and see if it works. And then quickly, and you kind of have to learn as fast as possible. You want quick learning cycles. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, generally speaking, we thought we were going to use the power of technology to help people eat better. Mm -hmm. But we did not know what that would look like. Right, so the, mm -hmm. the problem that you're trying to solve has never changed, which is trying, oh, to, yeah. trying to educate and empower people to eat healthier. Well, and that hasn't changed for us since right. we were, were 18. Mm -hmm. So, and we're older, much older than you. Yeah. We've just evolved. <laughs> Not much. <laughs> like I said, we've grown up together. Uh -huh. This community has grown up together. Uh, and my background is in uh, food policy and nutrition science. And so I was doing a lot of research and my hope for myself was to do research and influence policy and, and change the way that the food system works and the way that consumers are involved in the food system or um, the choices they make and the health outcomes um, that come after that. Uh, but I had found the same thing, that it was very slow. It took years to do one experiment. Mm -hmm. And and here we are, and we're able to rapidly evolve. We've evolved so much over the last three years. Uh, and who we are now, what Lighter is now, is so different than what it was before. We were doing grocery delivery last year with this customized meal plan service, but the software wasn't quite as sophisticated as it is now. And we were limited then with how many people we could serve. But now we've um, we pivoted uh, about a year ago and we mm -hmm. started rebuilding. And, and now, you know, like we're in over 100 different countries and endless, infinite user base potential. But before we were quite limited, but by expanding the software and making it more sophisticated, we're able to help, you know, hundreds of thousands of more people. And like I said, our growth is infinite. Like there's no cap on how who we can right. serve In, across the world it infinitely it's great and yeah. yeah that's cool i mean i want to get you know i kind of get more granular on both of your backgrounds in, in more detail because it's so interesting but the pivot is interesting also like mm -hmm. you have this kind of dramatic story around oh, yeah, we do. this pivot that took place like on the eve of a big investor yeah. meeting <laughs> i'm happy <laughs> to share it together to like <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have we have a really good pivot story We're brought to you today by recovery.com. 
I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple, search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you, I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. So uh, last year, uh, let's say at the beginning of July, Lighter uh, was... Um, creating customized meal plans and and having the groceries delivered. That's what we were doing. And we were serving um, people in 22 different cities in the US. Um, but we were facing this problem. And actually, actually, this story uh, actually relates now to this podcast. It's really funny. Okay, so. This, part, this is part of the story I don't know about. Yeah, you don't know it. It's really, okay, so. Uh, 
one of the problems that we are having is because we, we are a part of this community and we wanted to be able to give the power of this technology to all of the amazing people who are spending their time, talent, and treasure to help people eat more plant-based, um, we are having a hard time figuring out how we could work with everyone. Micah and I don't necessarily aspire to always be the ones who are motivating people to eat a plant-based diet. In fact, I don't really think that's our job. There's so many incredible people, including you, who provide that motivation for, for their communities. Um, and what we really want to do is help everybody be 10x more effective, right? So not everyone can hire a team of engineers and work on APIs with grocery delivery services, but we can do that part of the equation and then let everybody else uh, mm -hmm. do their great work of inspiring and motivating people. Um, so we're trying to figure out how to fit, and one of the people who came to us was David Carter, mm -hmm. who's a good friend. And he said, all he'd just been in Men's Health and GQ, and um, he said, you know, all these people are asking me what I eat. He's the 300-pound vegan NFL linebacker. But I don't have time to like meal plan for them or help them. Can you? Can we work together? Can we figure out a way to give people an example of how I eat so they can eat like me? And we said, of course, we would love to help. We built Micah. Micah, by the way, is the brain behind Lighter when it comes to all the food and nutrition. I know nothing. <laughs> but so she built this incredible meal plan with him um, based on what he eats. And Paige, too. And Paige, mm -hmm. too. Right. Paige. Paige was amazing in it. And we jokingly were, we were like, well, what do we call this partnership? You're the 300-pound vegan. We're called Lighter. And we jokingly called it Heavier. <laughs> so, so as we're like collaborating, we keep calling it Heavier. Uh -huh. And then he gets invited onto this podcast. And he said, well, what should I call it? And he said, don't call it Heavier. Um, uh, let's call it Stronger. We'll call the partnership Stronger. Uh -huh. So he gets on this podcast, and he, of course, is in the middle of speaking and calls it heavier. And right. you can hear Paige <laughs> in the background. Oh, I didn't no, even no, know no, this. stronger. Right? But it just shows our brand and his brand don't necessarily go together. And we hadn't built a platform and a system to integrate those two things. Mm -hmm. So um, so it was like um, we were trying. We wanted to work together. But it, it, it was hard to do. So that was a problem we were trying to solve. Okay. So um, we hadn't figured out the solution, um, but we were doing really well. And uh, I am in the car in late July. This is how the pivot happens. And um, one, I'm in the car, I'm in a cab, racing to the airport because I'm headed to London to pitch investors in London. And our consultant at the time, whose name is Ron, calls me. And he goes, he gets, when Ron gets excited, he gets so excited. He's like, I have an amazing idea. I know how we can solve this problem of trying to work with people. We can turn Lighter into a platform, into a market network is what it's called, so that they can have the profiles, they can put out their nutrition recommendations, but then our software can customize it for mm -hmm. people and we can help get the mm -hmm. groceries delivered. And so this is the idea that now we have, right? It's, it's not us. It's these amazing leaders in the movement mm -hmm. who can offer their uh, recommendations, but then we'll customize it. And of course, that's so much better than what we were doing. So I said, that's so much better than what we're doing. Right. I'm going to meet with investors. I've been eight hours. Yeah, <laughs> I'm wor I've been working on this deck, but I'd rather pitch your idea than what we're currently doing. Can you make a deck? I'm getting on an airplane to head to London. And he said, yes. 
So he worked all throughout while I, I didn't have internet on the flight. So I was just in the dark for this time. Mm -hmm. So excited. Um, and I land and I like get to my hotel and I open my computer and he's made a functional deck that does not look very pretty at all. It's very techy. Um, and so, but it was brilliant and, and he really is brilliant. Um, and so we, I cleaned it up as best I could. I'm not a designer, but I did my best and I went in and I pitched it and that's, uh, and we raised a bunch of money and, and it worked like he bought it and, and they, they, they agreed that it was great. <laughs> and then we took off on this big pivot and Ron, who always said he would just be a consultant. He's, he worked for Huffington Post Live. He, he won awards for his work there. He worked for Verizon. He said he was done working for a company, wanted to be a consultant forever, um, but he's vegan and he cares very much about our, our movement. Um, he uh, quit his consultancy and is now our CTO. Oh, and we're very, great. very lucky to have him. And I was probably on the phone with him for an hour today and we're mm -hmm. close collaborators. That's the, I love that story. That's fantastic. And it is a great idea because I think at its core, what it does is it allows you guys to bring this wide diversity of voices and perspectives into one under one umbrella, yes. which allows the greater you know population at whole to tap into the people that resonate with them, right? Mm -hmm. So as opposed to, it, you know, this is the cult of so and so, and this is the mm -hmm. way we do it, and this is the only way to do it, and you're either with us or you're not. People can fig sort of now you know gravitate towards the people that they you know, seem to relate to the mm -hmm. most and kind of follow that thread, right? Right, and I also think it's um, when sometimes I call us uh, um, an energy company, an energy conservation company, because um, if you think of everything as having energy or everything being energy, we have all of these amazing people putting their energy out there to inspire and motivate people to eat plant-based. If every single, I do believe that and, and we're seeing this right now. So 8% of people, um, we had 8% penetration in grocery delivery in 2015. It's gone up to 26%. I believe the future of grocery is delivery and that grocery stores will fundamentally change over the next 10 years. And I think that software has a real role to play in customizing um, our advice for people. But not everybody in the movement needs to go out and hire an engineering team to figure out how to do that work. And, mm -hmm. and it would be such a drain of energy if everyone went out and, you know, we've learned so much running a tech company. It's, it's very, it's a whole different world, you know? So why would we, A, keep it to ourselves? Um, and why would we expect everybody else who's doing this work to go out and have to learn all the lessons that we've learned? It's far better if we just give it away. And, and that's the part that we can play and that's the where we can put our energy and then everyone else can do all of their amazing work. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's really cool. So beyond that, like my sense is, and correct me if this is wrong, that there's almost like a, maybe AI is the wrong word, but like this learning kind of yeah. capability that it starts to understand like what you like or what you should be doing and it anticipates your needs, right? Yeah, to so um, it's called machine learning, which uh, at its heart is actually pretty easy to understand. It's um, the way that Netflix knows like what, what yeah. uh, movies they should recommend or uh -huh. shows they should recommend for you. I mean, it's essentially that, but 
it can get more and more customized over time. So right now, the way machine learning works is the more data you have, the better you can predict what someone is going to like. Um, that can be more data about you or that can be more data about people who are like you. Um, but that enables us to, for instance, we, we don't do this yet, but there will be a day when we, when that first menu that comes up will just hit exactly. If you want, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and easy mac and cheese and things that seem super all American and you just want it to be plant-based, uh, we'll know that. Or if, you know, you are an elaborate chef and you want to use turmeric more, mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll be able to know that. Right, or if you're on the super like low fat, no oil, like really hardcore, whole food plant-based, it will anticipate. Actually, that oh, we, we that know. know. That, yeah. that we know now. That, that, that we can do, um, so you're right to kind of correct that a little bit. That if somebody is on a no oil, low fat um, uh, regimen, then we mm -hmm. can do that now. Uh -huh. Low sodium. Yeah. So right now we do some of that. If if you'd rather eat low processed, we have we can customize for that. Whole food, plant based, um, low sodium is another one. And we also do it by appetite size. So mm -hmm. if you're a kind of average adult with average um, physical activity, uh, there's an appetite size or portion control for that. Uh, and it goes up to large and extra large. And that's the one that was inspired by Stronger and David Car right. Carter. So yeah. if you aspire to be 300 pound linebacker or you know you have a really big appetite, I definitely know some athletes that have a very high metabolism and work out a lot and the extra large appetite that uh, satisfies their, their needs. So there are all kinds of ways that we customize already right now. And I think that's so essential because while there are some truths that we know of uh, in terms of correlation between diet and health outcomes, nutrition is also very individual and our relationship with food is so different person to person, family to family, region to region, et cetera. So the more that we can uh, take the information we know about disease and health outcomes and, and those patterns uh, and, and refine it to fit into people's individual lifestyles or you know everything, all the different ways that you can break it down, the more that we can do that, the more that we can customize and predict and, and anticipate what they want and what they might want next week or mm -hmm. when they need their groceries, what their child wants in, in their lunch, how do we make that school safe, et cetera, uh, the better off we'll, we'll all be, I think. Yeah, and one, one of the lessons that I'm learning, and I'm, I'm, we're still really in, you know, in building the product, but the, um, the way that you build a technology company and the focus that you put on um, paying attention to how everything you do impacts uh, the people who are coming to your site is, um, is are lessons that I hope that we bring back out into the broader movement. Um, we have something like an 80% churn rate in veganism, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people go back. and. Um, and I think part of that's because of the lack of community, but I think it's also because they haven't necessarily found their space. And when you're a tech company, you're focused on a, a lot of strategies to bring people back into the to the platform that you've built or the world that you've built. And there's very clear lessons on how to do that. So if we can also bring some of those uh, lessons to the movement of how to keep people engaged, I think um, that's another area that 
that we hope to contribute. Yeah. So how does the community aspect of it work? Like, how are you, you know, fostering that, you know, sense of participation and connectivity that's mm-hmm. so important in keeping people invested in, you know, whatever, whether it's whatever path, it can be a plant-based diet or it could be fitness, whatever your goal is, right? Like, so how right. does lighter so right now there's the answer to immediately right now and then future so right now i think the way that we do it is by um enabling people to connect and see that they're following the nutrition guidelines of someone that they've already been connected to and uh and then we communicate with them on that but we are building a platform that is two sides of a platform right so when you do that um it takes time to build in those features but a lot of people right now for instance take a photo of their food and they tweet at us about it or they email us about it Mm -hmm. and we want to create those community forums within the platform so that uh so that you can be talking to people on the platform Mm -hmm. much like a facebook or a linkedin that's the heart of a market network is it's a hybrid between a social network and an online marketplace and then software as a service and so we want to enable people to be able to talk to each other on the site uh, and that will keep growing as we as we build what about the person that comes to you and says this is all great but like i just want you to deliver my meal like uh, like what is my brother (laughs) yeah like i just i don't want to cook i don't have time i don't even have time for that just like send me my prepared meal that i just have to warm up Right. So uh, luckily, we have some amazing companies that are creating those kinds of products, like Engine 2 is a great Mm -hmm. example. So I think when you look at more and more food companies that are coming out that are plant-based, they're seeing how important convenience is. So uh, Engine 2 uh, has... Um, kind of just bags, um, saute bags that you can just open from the freezer section and throw into a frying pan. You have Amy's burritos are, you know, plant-based. Some some of them are all vegan. Uh, And so we are finding out who those people are and trying to deliver those kinds of convenience products that you can find in the grocery store. One of the things that I would be really excited to see is more prepared meals in grocery stores that are um, that are all plant-based. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's room in the market for that. I also think there are um, some interesting meal kit delivery services, but they don't. We don't necessarily integrate with them right now. But like Marco Borges has mm-hmm. that um, 22 days, and then there's Purple Carrot. Mm-hmm. So they're they're able to do a little bit more of just the prepared meals. Um, and I would love to see those kinds of things also in grocery stores so that we can pick them up, put them in the bags and right. send them to people mm-hmm. for the three days a week when they just want to open something up. But, you know, we also take care of their breakfast, their lunch and right, right, right. other meals. Well, in addition to, you know, health, uh, I think a big kind of draw or, or, or an allure of this movement for a lot of people is, you know, the environmental concerns and sustainability and things like mm-hmm. that. And one of the problems that you run into with a lot of delivery stuff is there's a lot of waste. Mm-hmm. Like you end up with all these boxes mm-hmm. and the cooling packets and the styrofoam mm-hmm. and all of this kind of thing that is becomes tricky. It's like, I wanna do the right thing. I wanna do what's right for the planet. I wanna eat right, but I also want it to be convenient and mm-hmm. easy. So how do you, like, how does that work? And like, how do you grapple with and, and you know, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, resolve that problem that is, I mean, on some level, it seems inescapable to me, but I suppose 
when you're buying at a grocery store, you don't see all that stuff. Like it's all behind the right. wall in the That's back. You know, like you're participating it. You just don't, you're not observing it in the way, like it's very tangible when you're getting all this stuff delivered to your house all the time. Yeah, I mean, we just, <clears throat> our groceries just come in a bag, like a grocery bag. Uh -huh. So they're coming straight from. So it's like a from, local, yeah, it's not. Uh -huh. So if we're, yeah. So if when we Amazon, were. there's Amazon, there's going to be some of that, I think, right? Yeah, but I think it's much less than an individual um, meal kit service. Mm -hmm. And I, I do hope they figure it out because I do think that's a huge challenge for meal kit delivery services. Um, but we, we solve that problem by, for instance, Instacart, it really does just come in a reusable bag right. to your door. And that's kind of like a plug-in relationship that you have with them to sort of like as the distribution arm of what you're doing? Is there, that, yeah, there's several there's several different companies that do that kind of uh -huh. work. And, um, gotcha, okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so how, you know, like how does this, like you guys are an interesting partnership, it's very much like a yin and yang. Like Mike, I, I first came, <laughs> like across you when you started showing up on the cover of magazines. <laughs> you know, that iconic uh, Runner's World cover where you're wearing mm -hmm. the vegan socks that everybody saw, and that was like a big moment. And I remember when that happened, like everyone's email, Mike is me, you gotta get her on the podcast and all this kind of stuff. Like that made like quite a splash. So, and I know like in Boston, you're, you know, you know, you have, um, you know, you're well known for, uh, you know, being an athlete in that community and participating in November Project and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, so in addition to all of your nutrition expertise, you bring that kind of like athlete sensibility. And then on the other hand, we have Alexis, who's, you know, you were a professor at Emerson. <laughs> what did you profess when you were a college <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I taught leadership for three years uh -huh. uh, at Emerson College. Wow. So, so how, what is the curriculum for leadership? Mm. What do you like? What do you give people to read? That's a good question. I'll, I'll say this before I, I talk about my books that I would recommend. Um, teaching a class on leadership is like teaching a class on love or happiness. Leadership is a very nebulous concept and um, and people's leadership stories are deeply personal. Mm -hmm. So um, teaching leadership to different people is kind of asking them to grow in different ways. So for some people it might be becoming a better listener, for other people it might be listening to their inner voice. Uh, it really depends on the person. But um, I liked to, as much as I taught leadership to everyone in my class, and there were both men and women in my class, I, I focused a lot on the women um, because I think we have uh, to pay special attention to women's leadership. And um, so some of the books that I would teach, one is uh, Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. Mm -hmm. I thought that um, both the men and women would greatly benefit from that book. Um, another was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, and then How to Stephen Win Friends Covey. and Influence. Yep. Stephen Covey, yeah. But I have a, a blog post, and I'm happy to share it with my leadership crash course, which is something like 10 TED Talks and nine books that you shouldn't miss. So I'm happy to oh, share wow. that with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Audience. I can put that in the show, in yeah. the show notes. That would be cool. Cool. So, all right. So, leadership professor, and then also, you know, former uh, nonprofit, you know, sort of mired in in the bureaucracy of what that world yeah. is like, and into the fast and loose, you know, world of, of startups and venture capital and all of this, <laughs> like, and having to actually, uh, uh, you know, walk your talk in terms of yeah. leadership, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I if later would exist if I hadn't taught leadership mm. first. I think that. I stood in that class 
total, totally changed my life. I started the class uh, my first semester, married, living in the suburbs, kind of getting ready for a very predictable life. And I ended that first semester no longer married, ready to kind of try mm -hmm. new things. And then I taught for three more years, so then I kept going from there. Um, but it was very much uh, a, a journey for me in finding my power and truly understanding how incredibly powerful each of us are to fundamentally change the course of history. And I, and I very much believe that every person has a unique intersection of life experience, of interests of passion and if that can be channeled you have something unique to bring to the world and i think um so many of us don't get to the first step of becoming a leader which is believing that you have the power to shape the future that's the first step that you need to get to and i think most people don't get there and so it's hard to cross. To Not only that, step. I mean, most people feel so disenfranchised. I mean, you know, Donald Trump exists for a reason. And a mm -hmm. big reason of that is people's frustration and feeling like, you know, they can't, you know, their voice is not heard, yeah. right? So forget about leadership, just actually being a citizen who has a vote that counts is probably step one in that. Yeah. But the idea that you can actually, uh, you know, create something that has, you know, a lasting impact on culture, like that's, that's a leap, right? It's yeah. true, but yeah. trying to uh, convince people that they are capable of that, like that's, you know. It's hard, but it's, I'll, I'll share a, a way that you can start to at least catch your thoughts on this, which is uh, there's a difference between having reactive thoughts and proactive thoughts. So reactive thoughts are about the world is uh, acting upon me um, and proactive thoughts are I act upon the world. So you can say it's raining outside, so then I feel kind of bummed out. Or it's raining outside, so I have the opportunity to cuddle up with a book and mm -hmm. I don't have to go on a run. I, you two would be sad about that, but. <laughs> oh no, I would just run through it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think. Micah would just go running on a run. <laughs> she, well, she, yes, both of you. But, but I think that's also like the key to happiness, mm -hmm. right? Like just mm -hmm. knowing that you uh, have power over your, your future, your day, mm -hmm. your perspective. Your emotional response. So yes. there is a space between what happened outside of myself. Somebody honked the horn at me. Uh, my partner got mad. There is a space between that and your emotional reaction. You can have someone honk the horn, but that doesn't mean it has to impact you. You can have someone get mad at you, but it doesn't mean that you have to be upset. You have control over that. And I think that just knowing that about our own lives mm -hmm. is the first step. Mm -hmm. But then understanding that uh, we can then start to uh, take whatever we believe the world should be and start to push it out onto the world. I think that is the next step, but we, we so often get caught up in, well, I can't because they won't let me. And one of, one of, the, reason, one of the things that I think is in, why I wanna focus so much on women's leadership is um, I think school lies to girls in a very dangerous way in that uh, we have been told throughout um, our, our schooling that if we sit quietly in class 
and we take the information that the teacher has given us and we uh, memorize that information and then regurgitate it back that that is what success looks like. And we should be quiet and wait to be given permission to speak. Mm -hmm. That is not how the world works. No one is ever going to call on you once you're out of school and say, okay, now it's your time to speak. And if you want power and if you want influence, you have to take it. And I think guys uh, who are in sports get to get that those lessons maybe a little bit more than the women. Now, Micah played soccer, so she mm -hmm. knows how to take the, what she wants to happen and kind of move it but um a lot i didn't play sports i well i did debate but it's kind of a sport but not really um but a lot of you know a lot of guys did learn this to a certain extent that if you want something you have to go get it uh while they were in school um and so they counteracted that lie that school teaches us and i don't know if all the women got it the other problem is that we often are told to be perfect before we start. So if mm -hmm. you compare football players and cheerleaders, the guys get on the field and they can be sweaty. I just started watching a lot of football yeah. because of Josh. They get, they're sweaty and they mess up all the time. I mean, you take the ball and you throw it to the receiver and then the receiver drops it. So then you have to go try again and take the ball and you throw it to the receiver. Maybe this time he catches it and he gets five yards and then he's knocked down. But inch by inch, yard by yard, you make progress. And it's not pretty. You sweat a lot and they yell and show their emotion, you know, on their sleeve. But they make progress. Whereas the women, if they come out as cheerleaders and they kick their leg two feet lower than everybody else who's kicking their leg, then they've totally messed up. And they have to be perfect. Or even if, you know, Mike is playing soccer and her hair isn't right, even mm -hmm. if she kicked the game-winning goal, the conversation yeah. will be about that, right. right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I see that completely, you know, and I, you know, I was an athlete through formative years and in mm -hmm. high school and in college, but even so, I still was somebody who fell under the spell of, you know, study hard and mm -hmm, raise your mm -hmm, hand and answer mm -hmm, the question perfectly. Mm -hmm. And that's how you become a successful mm -hmm, person mm -hmm. uh, at no moment. And I would, you know, look, I had the best education money mm -hmm. could buy, but at no moment was I told, you know, was I sort of like, I wish I had taken your class. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nobody told me oh, how to be a leader. Like how you, how you become successful is you, you know, is you work hard in school and you do what you're told, right. you know, and that doesn't, that doesn't make, you know, that might make you functional. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe you can have an interesting conversation with somebody about ideas, but it doesn't necessarily ensure you of anything, let alone success specifically in, you know, in an entrepreneurial or business context. And, yeah. you know, if that was my experience, then I can only imagine what it is for most women. Yeah. 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 I, I'm in no way an expert on child rearing and like, um, well, development, you are a mom, so you are, but development yeah. and whatnot. But I, uh, I, I do think about this a lot with my daughter and I, I was talking with my friend, Emily, who, who is an expert on this. And, um, I, I was expressing some frustration with my daughter being a little bit too rigid with rules because I've. Uh, I'm the complete opposite. I see a rule, I want to break it, or at least push it a little bit and see what happens. And she, uh, rules are very important for her. And, and my friend Emily told me that for young children, learning boundaries and norms helps helps them feel safe in, in a space and helps them grow and learn how to mm -hmm. um, 
own their own space and break boundaries in their own way, but first they kind of have to learn them. And, mm-hmm. and, then, and then they need the system that teaches them that they are powerful and they do have control over their future, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And you can probably relate to this with your own children. I think that's the thing I talk about with my daughter the most every day. She comes home, my friend said this, she looked at me like this, the teacher didn't notice me, blah, blah, blah. And, and the thing I try to teach or impart on her, and I, I don't know exactly the best way to do it, but teaching her, if there's one lesson she can grow up with is, is that she has control over her future. And I, I'm sure you go through the same with your children, but it is probably the most important skill we can have as humans. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation. A groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. To instill your child with a strong sense of self and that they have a voice that has import and meaning and to be convicted about what they want and to feel good about themselves. I mean, you know, the word self-esteem gets thrown around very cavalierly, Mm -hmm. but it is super important. But it's also about reconciling that with this culture where everybody gets a blue ribbon, you know, no matter what you Mm -hmm. do, which I don't think is serving anybody either. It's Mm -hmm. about like, you know, honesty with that, that, you know, look, if you didn't win, we can still talk about how you can be better. And we're not like, you know, you're not gonna wither, you know, like some, you know, flower that can't withstand you know the pressure so it's about 
it's about like cultivating a sense of, of, of self that can be strong in the mm-hmm. face of adversity as well. That's resilient. Yeah, oh, resilience, yeah. exactly. I was running, uh, I was training for the Boston Marathon last year and my daughter asked me uh, if I was going to win. And I said, no, definitely not, <laughs> not even close. And, and she said, well, why would you, why would you do it then? If, if you're going to mm. lose, why run? And I was like, well, it's the Boston Marathon running. There are all these great benefits of running, but really it's just getting out there and running the hills and being with my community, um, experiencing this incredible tradition and, and crossing the finish line is a huge win, no matter what your time is or your place is. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I know that's very true for people who actually grow up in competitive sports and um, we're kind of taught to wait for our coach or for the win or for the scholarship or whatever. And uh, unlearning that as an adult is so key, mm-hmm. is so key. And I think I learned that through running the most because running is such well, an individual. You. Yeah, yes. it, it, you know, it'll humble you to your core. But I think, you know, you know, as I sit here in the presence of two strong, successful, beautiful women, mm-hmm. and as a father of two young girls, like I think about, you know, one of the things I think about all the time is, you know, what are the influences on my daughters? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look around, like most of pop culture's influence on young women mm-hmm. is not so great, right? And mm-hmm. as a parent, you know, how do you, you know, I don't know if shield is the right word, mm-hmm. but, you know, sort of guide them in the right direction mm-hmm. to, you know, be exposed to you know strong powerful smart intelligent women who are aspirational in a different way like i always say you know you look around like oh there's no female role models well there's there's a million of there's millions of them right Mm -hmm. it's just that the spotlight isn't on them to the extent that it should be and so how do we shift that spotlight and put it on the people that you know deserve that recognition so that we can empower the next generation of girls Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I actually think about that a lot, and and I think about it for uh, myself. The I know the music that I listened to when I was young and a teenager was actually from some really strong women, it's like Ani DeFranco and the mm-hmm. Indigo Girls. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was a hippie, uh-huh. and um, and when I listened back on those songs, they I one of the lines is uh, for one of the songs is something like I am. Um, She's talking about how she's not a kitten in a tree lost somewhere and no one needs to come rescue her. She's going to get down by her damn self. Uh, and I had a lot of that music actually growing up and I, I'm so much more grateful for it than I um, think I would have even been five years ago. And mm-hmm. I, I do hope that there are artists out there who sing about that for women. But I also think we as a community need to do a better job of recognizing the contributions of women so often uh, you know, women get points off for tooting their own horns. Uh, and uh, so we need to just be more um, cognizant of women's contributions and uh, and then recognize them publicly. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you're right, there are so many incredible women doing groundbreaking work. Uh, and they they don't always go and and, you know, run to the spotlight to share it with the world and mm-hmm. uh, i i hope that one of the things that uh i do with my life is like push them into the spotlight mm-hmm. and say go tell people what you're doing because it's freaking awesome and you'll right. inspire a lot yeah, of other right, people right. well you know micah you're a phenomenal example of this i mean you're a startup mm-hmm. entrepreneur 
you're a single mom, you're a kick-ass mm-hmm. athlete. I mean, you're just, you're like, you have, you're like placing super high in these ultras and these marathons. Like mm-hmm. what, what are you training for now? Like what's going on and how do you balance all of these things to, you know, show up for your, you know, for your daughter and, you know, be the mom that you want to be and also be the business partner and all. It's like that thing where, you know, women are expect, like if you are going to be, you know, a businesswoman, it, you're expected to kick ass. Like the, the bar is set mm-hmm. very high for you, mm-hmm. right? Like you have to live up to all these social expectations that you mm-hmm. have to be great at all these things. So how do you shoulder all that? Mm-hmm. I mean, you well, seem to be doing a good job. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'd say that the first thing is that I can't take all the credit. I mean, we, our team is amazing. So I have surrounded myself with some pretty amazing people. Like, like probably the best day of my life is the day I met Alexis. I mean, everything's changed with her. Um, and uh, my life is totally different and, and in, in all of the best ways. So I, I have great role models and great teams around me. Uh, it definitely takes a village mm-hmm. um, and and some phenomenal friends. And uh, I, you know, I, like like you said, I run with November Project, and that community has been so important for me. Uh, going going through so many transitions in my life, and um, knowing that I have a community that is always there Monday, Wednesday, Friday, like no matter what mm-hmm. the weather is like, they're always there. Uh, that has been really important. The worse weather, the better, right? The, like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm doing things that make me happy. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm doing work that I feel like I was born to do. I'm helping other people eat better. And, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. What is the, uh, what is the typical day in the life for you of, training work and parenting Mm. uh it it varies day to day but usually i uh wake up early and and run with november project uh, like 5 30 mm-hmm. lately i've been doing this challenge is five minutes of burpees as soon as i, I get out of bed Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's better than coffee it uh, wakes you up very quickly so you said your record was like 61 burpees 61 yeah uh, but i'm on day six so i'm hoping intense. hoping to go a little higher mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I'm doing that with with one of, our, one of our engineers Alex who I mentioned earlier so you know surrounding yourself with people that encourage and support the things that make you happy and and keep you healthy and excited about life I think that's that's so important uh, the more we distance ourselves and close ourselves off and um, you know the harder it is to get through all those challenges or you know the day-to-day like mm-hmm. day-to-day is is hard so um i think community is so important and perspective is so important um and and knowing that whatever i'm doing and however how i'm responding to the world is modeled for my daughter you know there's that is probably the most right. important motivator in my life is knowing that whatever i do she's seeing it she's watching it she's learning from it mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah it's invaluable so what do you do after the burpees? After the burpees? <laughs> so we're, we're through the burpees <laughs> we're, we're through in the day in the life. Yeah, barely through them. <laughs> uh, so either uh, I'm getting my daughter to school and then running to work. Um, like literally running to work. Sometimes I literally run to work, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, it's kind of different day to day. But running or some kind of strength training at some point during the day whether it's in the morning or the night depending on my schedule with my daughter um, and then i'm usually at the office for for most of the day um yeah and then do you do an evening workout as well 
Sometimes, yeah. sometimes I do double days, but I, I don't recommend that uh-huh. for everyone. It's kind of intense. And then you gotta pick up your daughter from school, I mm-hmm. would imagine, right? Go mm-hmm. home, make dinner. Yeah, and we're usually doing something outside, gardening or going to uh-huh. a playground. Yeah, that's a right, you have a garden, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, and in bed by when? Uh, the one thing I really need to work on is sleep. So yeah. <laughs> Prue, my daughter, she's in bed by eight and I'm usually working or doing laundry or right. something uh, at that point. Yeah, yeah, I'm usually working. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm asking these questions for a reason. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that there's a, you know, there's a lot of people out there that say, well, you know, it's easy for you, but like I do this and I do that. And here's all the reasons why mm-hmm. I can't eat healthy or mm-hmm. I can't find the time mm-hmm. and, you know, single mom, startup you know like all the training all the things that you're doing like you're you're finding a way to to make all those pieces fit together so i guess what i'm driving at is it is possible if you're making choices that prioritize those things if they're important to you Mm -hmm. um yeah i had a mentor and during my undergraduate studies uh, at vcu and he said that everybody has 24 hours in the day it's just how you choose to mm -hmm. use them you know but everybody has the same 24 hours uh, but I, I, you know, I've been doing a lot of this for a long time. I've been an athlete my whole life. I um, have been eating plant-based since I was 16 and mm-hmm. in all kinds of different situations, some more challenging than others. So I think I've, I've fallen into a, a, a routine and figured out what works for me. And so that simplified it quite a bit. But what I've found is that I can take everything that I've learned and impart it on others. And, and that's been a big piece of lighter, I think, is figuring out how to inform this software and build this software in a way that helps others using some of the things that I've learned along Mm. the way. What was your original impetus for going plant-based? I saw undercover footage of factory farms uh, and I was appalled, of course. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, And so I started studying it a little bit more and learned about all the health impacts of eating animal products, the environmental impact. And uh, I, when I learned the relationship about the relationship between disease and food and next to factory farming and suffering and, um, you know, those two things together, I couldn't believe that we were choosing to, to live this way, we, that we were choosing to eat in a way that is not only killing us, but causes an incredible amount of suffering for other beings. It, it made no sense to me. It was totally irrational, um, not only for myself, but for my family and, and all the others that are affected by it. And, and so I knew right away, like once you make that connection, it's so rational, you can't ignore it. Mm-hmm. It's there. Uh, and when I learned that there was food there out there that I could choose to eat that did, it had didn't have a negative impact on either one of those things, then why, why wouldn't I do it? Of right. course I would. Well, yeah, but, it, but there's, a, there's a gap between awareness and, and action. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like a lot of people come into that information and they're like, doesn't impact how they behave, right? Mm-hmm. So there was obviously there's something, some button in you that was pushed, some level of sensitivity or yeah. whatever that well, motivated was, you to act. For me as an individual, I, like, I grew up in the South and I was... Uh, early on very made very aware of some big social justice issues poverty racism sexism uh and uh i i think i was a little bit more primed and motivated to change i i knew i wanted to change the world in some way make it a better place i knew that i wanted to 
I, I did not want to participate in a system that disenfranchised people um, and, and animals and et cetera. Uh, and, and I found this was one way that I could make an impact relatively simple, like just based on what I eat in a day, I could have a pretty profound impact mm -hmm. on the world. And I could separate myself from a system that is so harmful and hurtful to the world. Uh, I could separate myself from that system just by making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? essentially. But as a 16-year-old in North Carolina, we were in North Carolina at mm -hmm. the time, mm -hmm. it couldn't have been a super popular decision, <laughs> right? Like, how did this go over with yeah. family and in high school and all of that? My family was super supportive, so I was pretty lucky there, but high school, it was pretty odd. Mm -hmm. um, were you playing soccer? Yeah, I was, I was playing soccer, uh, but I <laughs> I would make vegan chili and bring chocolate silk soy milk to school and tofuti cuties and hand them out. Uh, at the in the cafeteria uh -huh. and I would bring them to the cafeteria workers and and, and just like show people how good and tasty it can be and right. it, like I bought it at the <laughs> store down the street like oh here comes Mike yeah she's gonna make us eat these things oh if you ever have anything that Micah has made you will be very yeah. excited <laughs> cool and so did people say to you well you, how are you gonna play soccer and do this like was it vegan completely or did you go vegetarian initially or I was vegetarian for about six months uh -huh. and then um, and then when I learned more about the dairy industry I took the next yeah. step uh, so yeah I think yeah people had all the all the same questions. Right. Where do you You're eat your an protein? Athlete and, uh, so you began weathering that those those questions at a very early age. Yeah. 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 So what is the answer to that? Like how when when people come up to you and say, you know, where do you get your protein, or you know, how are you able to be an athlete on a plant based diet? Like how do you handle that? Honestly, I point them to people like you and Scott Jurek, David you don't Carter. You do that. You can just point at your own results. Yeah, well, thank you. Mm -hmm. That's true. I do. I mean, I've yeah, I've been vegan for 15 years, and I played college soccer, and I've been a runner for many years, and had a child who's super healthy. So has yeah. Rue always been uh, plant based? Prue, yeah. Prue, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. Yeah, she's always been plant based. Mm -hmm. She's seven now, and tall and fast. Cool. Smart she's an athlete. Yeah. She is. I think the other thing we can do now is you can just say, go to my lighter profile <laughs> and you can right. see what I <laughs> eat and then you can follow it. And that uh, was actually one of the reasons we built it the way we did is so that when you get a question, oh, you're plant-based, what do you eat? You can just say, go to my profile and you can see what I eat mm -hmm. and then you can follow along. Mm -hmm. And then the software can take it from there and customize it for people. Right. What yeah. a beautiful thing. Who would have thought? Yeah. And you can see on the recipe how, how much protein is in it. Yep. So all that good stuff. All the stuff. information's all there, yeah. Right. So tell me the story about when you were in like Russia and trying to mm. be plant-based. <laughs> this, is, this is my favorite Micah story uh, of all time. <laughs> I don't know which part you like. but I, Okay, I like the way that you had to go to the black market. Oh, and, okay. <laughs> Oh, okay. So I lived in Russia for about a year, kind what, of. In, first of all, why did you? What was it? What was going on? What is that about? Uh, I was there with my ex-husband. Uh -huh. He's Russian, um, so we lived there for a while, and uh, we lived kind of on the outskirts of of Moscow. And, um, so it was in the city, but our closest store was pretty small, like 
not much bigger than a bodega style mm-hmm. market. Uh, and I would go to the grocery store alone and I would come home like no joke and cry because, <laughs> because I didn't know how to, um, I didn't know how to communicate with people very well. Um, the, the tone of voice was so different and you know, it was like, it was a big culture shock and I was trying to figure out how to eat. And, mm-hmm. um, I, was kind of thrown out. I was before that I was living in Richmond, Virginia, which has a ton of vegan restaurants. And so I was going from like delicious tofu and seitan food to the basics. So I had to right, learn so what how is, to cook. When you, when you would go and do a, like one of these bodegas outside of Moscow, what, what was available? Like, what does it look like? Oh, uh, a lot of canned food. Um, a lot of, white flour kind of processed breads bread products um the pickled food is amazing though mm-hmm. i don't know if you've ever been and if you but if you do go the pickled vegetables are delicious that was probably my favorite part um but but otherwise the the it was pretty s- slim pickings so i and you were and you were pregnant with prue at the time yeah this, I was hei- pregnant. this heightens the the uh, importance of eating healthy at that time because you were so concerned with yeah. making yeah. sure Prue got everything she needed mm-hmm. to grow. Mm-hmm. So this is that's where I learned to cook lentils and love lentils and vegetables and kind of the basics. Uh, but I would actually go to this. It was like an I- illegal market outside of <laughs> Moscow where they they had turned an Olympic training facility into this it felt like a city. Um, it felt like a third world kind of country, mm-hmm. but it was a market. And I would go to like the inside of the market, like deep inside of it to find the tofu. It was like the only place to get <laughs> tofu. Um, s- but uh, hold on. I'm still back on like, you know, Olympic village, black market. Like, <laughs> this is, how does this even like, I'm trying to understand. So who was, it, who were the, who was the intended customer for this black market supermarket or whatever it was? Uh, it was mostly immigrants uh-huh. in, in Russia, but why was From it Asia, like not mainly. allowed to like why were there there products there that you couldn't get elsewhere like how does that like yeah it was like fur coats to the ceiling oh, illegally so traded food, from like china yeah uh-huh. everything lots of like fake right. soccer jerseys and home products like all kinds of things but they had been traded illegally at least that was the story that i so was like given imported uh under the radar somehow so mm-hmm. that you could get food products in this place too yeah uh-huh yeah I so i would get tofu in like little ziploc bags but next to the tofu guy they were like beheading a chicken like on the on the dirt floor on the Mm -hmm. ground essentially so um it it was to like navigate that as this like very obvious american white girl with sneakers on pregnant it it was yeah they're like looking what are they thinking when they see you coming into the market like yeah narc (laughs) 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 that's commitment though you know How long did you have to do that for? Uh, How long were you living there? I was there for a year. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's very intense. Uh, and mm-hmm. and to... it actually translated into being very helpful for lighter because <laughs> a, a lot of our recipes, when you do whole food plant based, you know, we want to make sure we're affordable. As you pointed uh-huh. out, kind of in the beginning, we're in 126 countries. If we want to serve communities, can not you tell just people where the York, black market is outside of Moscow? <laughs> Is that part of lighter? But if you want to chat yeah. into our chat feature and ask Mike, right. I'm sure she'd be happy. Or if somebody's to like, that. listen, you know, I there's no Whole Foods where I live. <laughs> Damn it. I had to go to the black market. Don't tell me yeah. you can't get healthy food, right? 
<laughs> no excuses. No there, excuses. Yeah, there really aren't. But it definitely translated into a lot of our recipes being, you know, these dishes that where you can find the ingredients everywhere, mm-hmm. where the um, the recipes are very simple. But they're but she also cares. I, I've never met somebody who has a more discerning palate too. So they're mm-hmm. also really good, and mm-hmm. we benefit from that. I just. I love the image of you going through that black. I know, it's great. And when you were studying nutrition, how did the whole plant-based thing go over with the teachers, the Mm -hmm. professors and all? It's not like really kind of a widely accepted program in those institutions, is it? Like what what is it it like? Well, so I went to grad school to study nutrition to really challenge that and figure that out. Like where, where are we in the research? Where do we fit in? Where do we need to improve? And like really add to the research to help our help our case but I actually found I I was pleasantly surprised I found no pushback at all Uh, and I went to Tufts the Friedman School of Nutrition Science and Policy and and they're they work a lot with the USDA um, and uh, it's very research oriented but I, I found that there was no pushback at all there's no tension Mm. at all uh and in fact I found the opposite the message was very clear as long as you do it responsibly and eat a diverse diet, a plant-based diet is actually healthier and, and beneficial in terms of um, heart, uh, well, any kind of chronic disease, longevity, et cetera. So I was really surprised. That's great. Cause that. I yeah. always hear these stories about, you know, people who, you know, go to study nutrition and when they, when they want to explore, you know, the plant-based sort of universe, it's not exactly welcomed. Mm -hmm. And I would say it was a pretty progressive program because we were also talking about the future and the environment and how diet impacts the environment and and the health of the public Mm -hmm. in the future, not just today, but tomorrow Mm -hmm. and 10 years from now. And you can't have that conversation without talking about plant-based diet and, and, uh, and animal products. Right. And beyond the kind of community uh, accountability aspect that we already kind of talked a little bit about, in your experience of working with people individually on their nutrition, what do you think are the biggest limiters or what, what, is, what, are, the, what are the things that people struggle with the most in terms of making this switch and making it stick? Mm. That's a good question. I think it varies person to person. Um, from my experience, I think it is really finding the foods that you really like, that you really enjoy, um, that meet your expectations of what a satiating meal looks like and feels like, and figuring out how to plan responsibly mm-hmm. to make sure you have, you know where you're going to get lunch, where's dinner coming from, uh, I think there's nothing worse than being hungry and not knowing what to eat. Um, I think that's probably like the biggest, mm-hmm. um, the biggest way that we fail. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Alexis? Or if you're just if you're hungry, you're going to grab. If you're hungry and you don't have a healthy option in front of you, you're more likely to make the bad choice, right? Or absolutely, you know, do what's convenient. That's probably not the healthiest thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Uh, we all are on autopilot a lot. So we've, we've created neural pathways where we don't have to think, we don't overthink necessarily a lot of our choices day to day. If we overthought, if we, if we thought about every choice we make, we, you know, our brains would 
uh, be fatigued very quickly. So a lot of us are on autopilot for making decisions throughout the day. You take the same route to work every day. Mm-hmm. You, um, you know, ha- order the same coffee every day. You're not overthinking these decisions. But when you've uh, faced a life experience where all of a sudden you feel like you need to change. So these two guys we met uh, who work for the jail who have said, you know, to save my life, I need to change the way I eat. They have to go create new neural pathways. They can't be on autopilot. They need to go change their habits. And I think doing that without a plan or some kind of guidance at the beginning is tough. So I hope that we serve that purpose then you can go back into autopilot a little bit. So once you've added new plant-based meals to your rotation, once you've uh, found your new favorite restaurant and what your favorite dish is on that restaurant, then you can kind of go back um, into just being in a habit. But I think that make it, taking the time, which is probably about three weeks, every you know you learn, it takes about 21 days to change a, mm-hmm. a habit taking those 21 days to maybe have to think a little bit harder about your choices. Marco would say 22 days. But Marco would say on the 22nd yeah. day, you, you, you've made it, uh-huh. um, uh, which is why his company's called 22 days. But, um, you know, th- for those three weeks, getting, getting motivated enough to me- to be making choices, uh, in situations where you maybe would have been on autopilot before is I think one of the other biggest hurdles, but I don't want us to ever underestimate, uh, social influence. And, and I actually, in hearing Micah's story, I mean, I love, I, I, Micah is one of the most incredible people I know, and she handles all of the different things she's doing with grace and, and it seems effortless. And yep, one Mike of the is reasons- way too humble and understated for the things that she's accomplished. So I'll let you like yeah, sing I her can, praises I can for a moment. <laughs> but what I, one of the things that uh, she said that I, I think bears repeating is that she's having fun. And the reason she's having fun is, and the reason it feels like less work is because when she goes into November project, she's with her friends and they're working out together. And when she's running the marathon, she's not talking about, you know, being fast and fighting everyone. She's like, I'm going to be with my community, (laughs) you know? Um, And then when we come into work, we're with our friends. Like we built an amazing team. We laugh together. We have this energy in the office that just is, um, it's on fire. And so, The key, I think, is finding your people. And if there's one thing that I hope everyone who wants to make a journey into whatever it is, being an ultra marathoner or just eating, you know, plant-based diet more often, it's finding your people because that social influence, the way that we impact each other and the way that we're connected to each other, um, I think goes a lot deeper than we realize. Mm -hmm. And we need each other a lot more than we admit. Um, But it's a beautiful thing when we allow each other us to need each other and we then go find our community and let them kind of carry us in those harder moments. And what a beautiful thing that the internet is this incredibly powerful tool that allows us to facilitate community irrespective of geographic locations. Really amazing and powerful. Um, You know, I think there's always going to be like those two guys that work in the jail who just, you know, they, they reach a moment, they're in enough pain or whatever it is that they're like ready, you know, mm-hmm. like I'll do whatever I need to do to change. 
But short of, of having that kind of experience of, you know, getting to that point where it's bad enough and you're in enough pain that you almost feel like you have to change, uh, you know, someone like Dan Butner, the Blue Zones guy, would say the way you're going to win the hearts and minds of, of, of the average person is when you make the healthy choice the most convenient choice. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be within arm's reach at all moments. Instead mm-hmm. of the you know vending machine with the chips and the soda, mm-hmm. soda in it, it has to be something healthy. Or the mm-hmm. bike path has to be right outside your front door. Whatever it is, you know, the, the, everything from you know, the proximity of markets to you know, city planning, like all of these you know, big decisions that, that go into you know, what is in our immediate environment has to change. And so um, you know, my hope is that lighter, you know, the role that lighter plays is making something making these choices really convenient and mm-hmm. easy and 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 taking all of that kind of you know re- removing the decision fatigue that mm-hmm. often leads to burnout and mm-hmm. choices that don't serve us yeah i think um hearts and minds is is very important to win um and we see so many incredible people doing that work uh we're here to make it easy mm-hmm. you know we we are here for that purpose and i think it is very exciting to see our movement generally starting to see if we can just help people find their people and make the right choice the easy choice we're going to change lives mm-hmm. uh, and in a sustainable way not in a short-term way but in a long-term sustainable way beautifully said I want to get back to this idea of leadership since that's your expertise mm. and I think it's it's such a cool thing to talk about and something that I think is is uh is really needed in this movement and I was really impressed um by what you guys created in Washington by having that mm. dinner like mm. after the event I've never experienced anything mm. like that like mm. we're at this conference usually I go to these conferences you speak and everyone like disperses and that's it and you're like, we're going to have a dinner, you know, and we're going to take, you know, a bunch of the speakers or some of the, you know, people that are influential in this movement. We're going to all get together and we're just going to chat, you know, mm-hmm. and talk about like how we can, you know, collaborate, how we can help each other. And that was new for me. And it's so needed. Like one of the things that we we kind of touched on it earlier is the fractured nature mm-hmm. of, of this movement. When you look at, you know, other social movements, uh, one of the things that you notice in 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 sort of studying their success is how aligned they are in purpose, in you know, in vision, in talking points. And when you look at the plant-based community, there's a lot of subcultures within it mm-hmm. uh, that don't necessarily get along or see things the same way. Meanwhile, mainstream Americans, you know, are lining up at McDonald's, you know, as much as ever, right? So it's mm-hmm. a dire situation that needs redress. And you know, leadership is is you know the path, the first you know step towards towards reversing that right mm. and and i think that act that you guys took it was emblematic of the kind mm. of culture that you're trying to create and it was very cool so how do we continue to do that like how do you you know how do you how do you see you know how we can move forward positively yeah so um i'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it i i loved it so a couple of things one is uh, i've always been upset obsessed with studying social movements um a, because I'm, we're very much in one, and I've also just been interesting, 
interested in this idea of how do we create change. And I think one of the lies that history is given down and not to rail on school too much, but that we also learn in school is that we have like these great men who, who led a movement. So you have Gandhi or you have Martin Luther King. We put everything on these one, you know, this one or two people who represent an entire movement of people. When in truth, um, from my experience watching change happen and as much as it feels like we have a long road ahead, especially in the last five years, things have changed so quickly. Uh, one of the key pieces that I see to a successful movement is the role of friendship. Um, we are a social movement, which means our social connections to each other are what give us gives us our strength. And when you can enable people to become friends, you break down major barriers in communication and communication's everything, right? So we're more open with each other. We are able to share what's really worrying us. I think a lot of us who are, um, who are leading the way in one way or another um, bear heavy responsibility. And that is, that's not easy and we shouldn't always have to do it on our own. And we need our peers to kind of lean on sometimes, or we need to be able to say to each other, I'm working on this. What did you do when you, when you confronted it so that we don't, again, you know, conserving energy so we don't have to go reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think that when you're friends with somebody, they can keep it real with you. So they can let you know that there's a pothole up ahead or that you're headed down the wrong path and you can speak right. frankly and you're honestly an with idiot. each other. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, so we all we all make mistakes and um, friends are, are uh, the people in our lives who can call us out on it. Um, and I think that's one of the beautiful parts of Mike and I's relationship. Like we're very close, but we are not afraid to call each other out. Um, and, and we, we, I think are much stronger as individuals and collectively because we do it. So I've had the experience of being in some of these curated spaces with people who are not in the movement, um, and saw how powerful it was to bring together, uh, thought leaders or people who are, um, working, working on the, these things day in and day out and just saw how if you can create the right environment so we were at shook which is a great uh restaurant in dc mm -hmm. and you can um kind of let everybody uh loosen their tie i don't think any of us were wearing ties but so to speak <laughs> if neil was there he would have been wearing a tie <laughs> right. but he might have been the only one but if you create the right atmosphere uh you can enable people to really open up and i think that Often we look at the um, the the hard skills that are needed to change the world. So um, in medicine, it's you know looking at the science and being able to read the science, for instance. But we don't necessarily look at the softer skills of what it really takes to change the world. And I do think that bonds between people enabling people to be vulnerable and open with each other just gets us so much further and honestly in business you learn a lot of this so when you a lot of the leadership books that exist in the world are for business leaders mm -hmm. and one of the things that astounds me is um I had a very, I had a brilliant person this weekend, I won't name names, but um, I, I mean a brilliant doctor say to me, oh, I couldn't do business. And I said to him, you, you, God, you went to medical school. That is very hard. I went to law school, which is like kind of hard. Going, no offense to the MBAs, but 
learning business is intuitive because we interact with business all day and most of it is about just dealing with people and enabling people to do their best work and creating situations where they can do great work. It's very, very human. And so in business, we talk a lot about how to facilitate communication. We talk a lot about how to um, get people to bond and create the right culture and the right work culture. We should be doing that collectively as a movement as well. Tell me about this trip in Italy that you guys <laughs> did. Because that's you know an example of this in yes. action. Mm -hmm. uh, so about three months ago, Micah and I found each other, found ourselves in a 15th century villa in Tuscany. You just found yourselves there. We just happened to be in a 15th century <laughs> Tuscan villa um, with other than us, five incredibly powerful, uh, compassionate women who are leading the way uh, in the movement uh, to help people eat a plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. And we were there for a couple of reasons. One was to strategize. One was to say, you know what, sometimes we need to step back, take a look at the big picture, and we need to figure out um, how we are going to work together to uh, to bring about change. And then the second reason was to just recharge our batteries, to um, give ourselves time and space to really connect with each other. So often, you know, we see each other in passing at a conference mm -hmm. or we see each other uh, for coffee and you don't really get time as adults to spend a lot of time together. And um, we wanted to give these incredible women space to do that. And it, it was life-changing for all of us, um, as I think retreats to Italy sometimes are, as I'm sure you yes, know as I've well. Yes, I've experienced that. Yeah. Um, it's cool, you know, and I think that that's an extension of your, you know, desire to empower people around mm -hmm. you to do their best work, mm -hmm. right? Um, when I was in D.C., uh, I had the opportunity to sit down and do a podcast with Steve Case, founder of AOL and you know he's he's written this new book that's all about kind of what entrepreneurs are are going to have to know in order to successfully weather what he calls the third wave of the internet mm -hmm. which is much like the first wave when he built AOL and in other words a big part of that is going to be not just building apps on top of this information superhighway but also um, learning how to form successful partnerships mm -hmm. and that also involves you know dealing with regulatory agencies and government at the highest level and as somebody who is you know in the food space for lack of a better word you know in some respects i think you could make that argument um, you know you're going to have to be dealing with food companies mm -hmm. at the highest level and that becomes very quickly politicized and highly regulated right mm -hmm. so you know something that just happened was it yesterday was this big cheese bailout have you read about this you know about this? Mm -mm. So the government um, is issuing a $20 million bailout to the dairy industry. They're, they're buying $20 million worth of cheese because there is a surplus of cheese, right? Because consumer demand is moving away from dairy, which is an amazing thing. And I yeah. think it's a reflection of the success of this movement, yes. galvanizing. <clears throat> and what does the government do? 
well, it bails out these these dairy farmers by buying this. And the press release specifically said, you know, we're doing this, but this is really to, uh, you know, a big part of this is to provide for families in need, right? So they're going to give this cheese to families in need, right? So they can, like, check a box of, like, being, you know, good citizens or something like that by doing this this you know seemingly laudable thing but it's really about enabling an industry that's crumbling under declining consumer demand and so i guess what i'm getting at really is you know we're going to have to you know as your you know your efforts to win the hearts and minds of the average you know the soccer mom and the average consumer you also have to have your eyes keenly you know placed on you know what's going on at the you know federal and state level that is uh, that implicates, you know, these choices in your day-to-day business. Absolutely, and I and I think all of us uh, and and Good Food Institute is doing some interesting work on this. Um, our government is structured in a way, and and this, uh, I'm not revealing any big secrets, but in a way to protect big ag. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that uh, as much as a lot of the people who are advocates of that are Republican and say get government out of our lives, ironically, I think the government and will intervene on behalf of big ag um, in a way that, interestingly, a lot of us who traditionally might not think, you know, we don't like, we, we are not railing against big government. Ironically, I think it is those people who rail against big government, who um, will try and bail out big ag mm-hmm. as as we make a shift. But I think one of the uh, things that makes me really uh, excited is um, we are, in America, we still get really excited about innovation. And um, I think there is an American spirit that, um, that we celebrate on a regular basis basis that celebrates innovation and I think that if we can um, continue to tap into the energy behind um, change in that way I think it is our story uh, uh, as companies that are trying to change the way people eat and save the planet and save humanity from chronic disease through business that i mean that's a very american story Mm -hmm. right and i think we need to make sure that we're shouting that proudly because we are doing exactly what um we should in terms of using the system that currently exists to make the world better yeah absolutely and i think it's a there is a golden age happening right now in terms of uh, technological innovation mm-hmm. in not just food systems in general, but you know, plant-based, plant-based, you know, companies that are coming up all over the place. I mean, your partner Josh, being a co-founder of Hampton Creek and everything that has happened there, is so extraordinary. To Beyond Meat, to Impossible Foods, mm-hmm. and the craziness that's happening with Memphis Meats, and you know, and Veggie Gr- it goes on and on and on. To the extent that there are actually several venture capital funds that are oriented specifically around investing in companies that are in the plant-based space. Absolutely. Which is like crazy, right? 
Absolutely. I, I talked to one VC and it's not just some, I mean, it's the leading VCs in the world who right. are seeing massive opportunity in this space. When you see an industry that is so dysfunctional, when one VC said to me, when you see something that's so dysfunctional in this way, you look, look for entrepreneurs to solve the problem. And that is America. I mean, that is the, at the heart of our American story. And I think we should, um, really get excited about that. And I, and I hope that more people join us. I hope that, um, people see founders like Micah and I, if you had asked me three, well, I guess five years ago. So when I was, you know, 31, what are the three areas of work that you would never go into? I was working for a nonprofit mm -hmm. as a lawyer, essentially. Yeah. What, what are the three things that you feel like are too hard or you would never get into? It would be tech. I knew nothing about software and tech. It would be medicine. And then probably um, getting into finance. Like those are the three things that uh -huh. I would probably never have thought that I would do. And now I am the CEO of a tech company that's doing healthcare. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And that, and, and I, you know, I think we all have to watch out for imposter syndrome, but I'm so hyper aware of that, that I, I own it. I'm that I am the CEO of a tech company that's doing healthcare work. And if I can do it, you know, I think anyone can do it. It's these are very learnable systems, and um, I hope that others join us because there is so much work to do, and business can go so much faster than anything else. Um, and there are venture capitalists out there who see how how dysfunctional our current food system is. They know that um, it's ripe for disruption and change, and they're they're ready and willing and excited to make investments because you know what they know, and this is what makes a good venture capitalist, they better get in early. Mm -hmm. If they don't get in early, they're not gonna make those 10X returns. Mm -hmm. So this is their moment of opportunity to get in before the mainstream has hit. And I think a lot of us who have been in this movement for a long time, we see it. We know when we were kind of on the fringes and we can tell that we're moving into the mainstream. We're not quite there yet, but this is, where investors want to be right. right ahead of an emerging trend. And so I, I, I think we've barely gotten started in terms of the amount of investment that's going to come into this space. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, everyone from Chris Saka to, you know, Biz Stone, the, mm -hmm. the Twitter guys mm -hmm. are, you know, backing a lot of companies, mm -hmm. Bill, Bill Gates, Gates uh, you know, you name it, Google Ventures, Kleiner, mm -hmm. you know, Juicero has some really interesting, you know, yeah. investors in them, like all kinds of amazing things are happening right now. And it's true, even if it hasn't quite caught on in the mainstream, these are the people who have become billionaires by being able to see into the future and, and anticipate what is going to be big and mm -hmm. understanding that our food system, irrespective of your dietary preference or proclivities, understanding that it is fundamentally broken and unsustainable and and the idea that innovation and technology can you know make significant changes for the betterment of humanity is very exciting and certainly incredibly profitable if done right mm -hmm. right and i do i want to add that you don't have to be a ceo of a tech company to change the world mm -hmm. you know this is very inspirational this and this story is very inspirational um and important but you can be an average person with a you know regular kind of nine to five doing your thing uh, and have a huge impact on the world mm -hmm. you know as a consumer we vote with our forks we uh, three times a day essentially three times a day we decide 
to participate in a system that is aligned with our values. We can choose to be, uh, to act on our empathic kind of, um, um, I don't know, idealist, I, ideals or values and choices. And we have that opportunity as consumers and citizens to participate and support systems that are aligned with those or not. Uh, so not everyone has to be a CEO of a tech company mm -hmm. to make the world a better place. So I just kind of wanted to bring that Absolutely. back to like every, every day, every person uh, can have a huge impact on the world. Yeah, well, it's a really important point. And that is actually how the world changes. Right. So, I, you know, uh, we're, we're doing our work day in and day out, but it's we, without, you know, the people who interact with later, or without the people who have gotten us to our movement to where we are today, those are people who just make conscious decisions. You know, those are the people who buy Hampton Creek, who buy... Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Beyond Meat and all of those other products, they, they without them voting for those products, you know, we wouldn't, mm -hmm. we, there wouldn't be big companies to Yeah, in. well, it's that, that old adage of, you know, like, well, one person can't make a difference, but you know, that's the only way any, any changes ever right. happen, right? Like, I right. don't know exactly yeah. what the quote is, but it's something like that. Right. And, and it's true. And it goes back to that idea of people feeling disenfranchised. And yet here's a thing, and I talk about it all the time, like this one thing that you can do that you have absolute control over um, that actually has a very profound and tangible you know, difference, uh, you know, depending upon what you choose. And it can be intimidating or scary anytime you want to opt out of whatever everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. But if you really check yourself and are clear on what your fundamental values are and what you stand for, and when you start to bring your actions into alignment with them, that is an incredibly, you know, enriching feeling that, that gives you a sense of, um, not just self-esteem, but empowerment, mm -hmm. really, you know, and it's, it, it's, and that, it, that just sort of starts to lead you into a, a new trajectory for your life. And Absolutely. it seems simple and kind of nutty to say that, but it's, it's very true. Like I've experienced it and I've seen it in other people. So. Absolutely. And I, and I think then you get to go find your, your people. Mm -hmm. So it's not the, those first few steps often lead to, you know, you and I both had life-changing experiences eating plant-based yeah and you um, lost, we didn't even get into like yeah. your backstory too i mean you lost like 45 pounds yeah. right yeah so making those small changes you know sometimes and I, I actually think mike is making a deeply important point it's not like you go from zero to 60 it's small choices day to day that lead you down a path where all of a sudden you look back and you mm -hmm. say wow i never thought i would get here but here i am and i think sometimes you can't necessarily even imagine what you're capable of. I, I, there's, there is no way I could have imagined this for myself. Uh, you know, and, and it, had I told myself that's the goal, I'd, I think maybe I wouldn't have done it, but it was just decision by decision and taking this step and then seeing, oh, this is working. Okay, now take this step that I got here. But yeah, I, I was, uh, you know, I come from a family of people who didn't eat that great. And, um, and, um, ate the standard American diet and was graduated high school about, you know, 45 pounds plus overweight mm -hmm. and, um, uh, made decisions to change the way I was eating for environmental reasons. That's when I, mm -hmm. my aha, uh, but very quickly learned about health and animals. And, um, it wasn't even necessarily that I tried. It just kind of started to come off. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's, 
that that kind of shedding of your old self in a way is uh gives you space to then create a new self which is mm -hmm. really exciting yeah you could tell a whole new story yeah. and as crazy and wild as it you know may seem to you to be doing what you're doing right now both of you if you look backwards like it all makes sense oh, right yeah like, oh, of course i did these things because that led to this that led to this that led to this and it, and it looks like a a perfectly contrived narrative right, right? you know mm -hmm. what i mean right well but, as you say it's yeah. not a linear path but it I, I do think that um, I, I know Micah and I and say, and also many people on our team believe they were born to do this work and that their stories and um, Steve Jobs had this great uh, speech that he gave at Stanford, um, which is uh, one of the videos I, I share in my blog post, but where he says, uh, looking back, all the dots make, you know, make perfect sense. Oh. Like I was an improv comedy, which I think teaches you how mm -hmm. to kind of get into a place where you don't know what you're going to say, but you're like, you know what, I'm going to get up there anyway, and I'll figure it out so when you I get were, there. Wait, you you did improv comedy? I did improv. Yeah. <laughs> that so my my. <laughs> At what point in the timeline was this happening? Yeah, okay, <laughs> so um, I in high school I started my high school's debate team, um, and uh, I. We so in our first tournament, uh, we took first, second, third, and fifth. Uh -huh. We had a really kick-ass team, but again, we were friends and we were having so much fun. This was here in New York. This was in New York, and then I got and I went to college. I think in part I got in for debate, um, and I got there, and the the people who were on the debate team did not seem like my friends back at high school. You know, we had talked about throwing keg parties to raise money to mm. get to the, <laughs> to get to the tournament. Um, and I just didn't resonate with them. And, and so I very quickly decided I didn't want to do debate. And someone just said, Oh, you should try out for the, you're kind of funny. You should try out for improv. Um, and I had no idea what improv was, but, um, I made it into this very select group of uh, people at school, and for four years I laughed my butt off. Mm -hmm. And um, it was an amazing education and just going for it. And uh, you know, to stand on stage and have to be funny um, is is a skill to learn. And I actually think it's more important than my law degree in terms of setting me up for success. And it's gotta be one of the most, one of the most difficult things, you know, cause you have to be funny, but you also have to be completely present. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And you have to have the confidence that, you know, the words will come or yeah. the inspirational, you know, the inspiration for what you're going to say next is going to happen. And I would imagine that, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here as you're telling this, thinking about that story of going to London and having to sit with that investor mm -hmm. and, and deal with this deck that you're not rehearsed for right. and having the confidence to go, you know what, I'm going to get up and just, you know, I can improv this, mm -hmm. you know, with my background or whatever, and it's going to work. Yeah. You know? uh, right. That's a, that's actually a perfect connection to just uh, feeling like something's right and just going for it. Mm -hmm. The other lesson that comes out of improv, and it actually, improv is something that, um, entrepreneurs are told to go try and um, and I think one of the reasons is there's a rule in improv called yes and mm -hmm. so uh, when you get to a scene where you're with with whoever you're performing with um, a sure way to kill a scene and not make it funny is to not agree with the person so for instance you walk into a room and you say the aliens have arrived we have to get in the tub boat 
right? And somebody just, if they say, uh, what are you talking about, Steve? It's Tuesday and you just got home from work. Like mm-hmm. the scene just dies. Right. So the way that you create it is you say, the aliens have arrived and we have to get in the tugboat. And then you say, yes, and I brought the uh-huh. Beyond Meat nachos. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. You know, and you just think of something that you, that to add to that. And um, so always looking at the world to see what you can add and how you can to heighten contribute. the situation yeah. uh-huh. is a great is a great training that's cool for the rest of life all right well we gotta wrap it up here you guys um this was awesome yeah i'm so inspired by what you guys are building um it's really a beautiful thing and i think you know one of the other things i wanted to mention that that didn't come up earlier is just the attention to like detail and aesthetics Mm -hmm. that that kind of Mm -hmm. infuses all of the thing you know all the work that you're doing like if you look at the site it's it has this like incredibly modern you know it feels it feels current you know Mm -hmm. it's like of the moment it doesn't feel like it's at all associated or tethered to perhaps you know some of the stereotypes that come with uh, what it means to be vegan or Mm plant-based like you put this sort of modern Mm -hmm. um you know spotlight on it that's really uh you know attractive and aspirational well, I think a lot of the people who we've profiled on this site are going to be, um, they are authors of history. There will be history books written about them. And I think before we get too far along, uh, while everyone still looks great and is um, in the moment of their work, we, we want to portray them mm-hmm. as the heroes that they are. And um, so that was our hope was to really show them in the noble light and the um, and in a way that people can relate to and see uh, that this is the future and and many of us are the ones who are bringing it to life. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And if somebody's listening and they're struggling, maybe they're rubber banding in and out of eating healthy and taking care of themselves or. They just haven't found a way to, you know, make this lifestyle stick. Like, what is some wisdom or advice that you guys can impart? Mm. I think patience is important. Being very forgiving of yourself as as you move through a journey is really important. Um, I, uh, trying lots of different new foods and making it a really fun adventure, I think, is really important. Yeah, and I would say find your people. And if you can't find your people on your own, reach out to us and we'll help you find your yeah, people. Yeah, I was going to say, go to lighter.world, <laughs> yeah. right? Yes, lighter.world. <laughs> and really, we, we have a chat feature. You can chat in and um, we will take that question of I'm not sure where to find my people and, and help you get there mm-hmm. if that's the question that you have. Mm-hmm. But any food questions you have, we also answer. <laughs> right. And so you guys are optimistic about the future. So I, I truly am optimistic about the future. I think that uh, technology can take us so far, so fast, and um, we're, we're on that road. Mm-hmm. Good. I think we did it, you guys. Yeah. How do you feel? I, I think this is amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really. No, I'm, I'm just so impressed and inspired by your work, like I said mm-hmm. earlier. And uh, I just can't wait to see how this journey unfolds for you guys. And along the way, so many lives uh, positively impacted. Mm-hmm. So if there's anything I can ever do for you guys, please mm-hmm. reach out and let me know. Well, we've been really inspired by you and your work. So it's having you on, on the site 
is amazing. Yeah, it's, it's so exciting I'm for us. I'm honored. I'm honored oh, to be there. Yeah. So cool. You really, your story is, so, I, you, I'm sure I've heard this a million times, but um, it's really inspiring. And it, like, since I heard it again this weekend, so I hurt my toe. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and I was walking, I was walking somewhere. I was like, oh, I can't really work out because I hurt my toe. And then I thought about your story of falling and then, oh my God. Uh, but, you know, just, I think what both of you do uh, is show kind of the limits of, of what a human is capable of. And for those of us who are not necessarily pushing ourselves physically, but are pushing ourselves in other ways, it's just really nice to know that you show us, you know, how far we can go. That's so. sweet. Well, you have somebody sitting right to your left right now who can do that for well, you on a daily that. basis. She yeah. does that for me. On so, Micah, what are you training for right now? Do you have any races coming up? Yeah, I'm doing a few half marathons coming up this fall. Uh, it's hard to find time to train for marathons and ultras mm-hmm. right now, so scaling it back and right. just doing some fast 13.1s. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right, you guys. So, uh, for all of you out there in podcast land, uh, immediately stop what you're doing and go to lighter.world to learn more, right? And where else should people go? You guys are all over social media, but you have all you have like a crazy avatar on Twitter, right? It's not your name, oh, Micah, isn't it? Light, uh, I think is my Twitter like, handle is my name. It's Micah. Oh, it is underscore risk. And but oh, Instagram. Instagram is something different, yeah, right? It's three. It's complicated. It's three underscores Lightfoot, which is okay. a family name, and also lends itself well to running. All right, cool. And Alexis. Um, I'm wherever you find lighter is okay. usually where I am. <laughs> I I will someday. I have a, a medium account, so I'm I'm starting. Oh, you're doing me- Oh, cool. Medium. Right, yeah. and uh, and lighter has its own social media yep. and then uh, we have social pages. media where um lighter culture i think on instagram twitter and facebook yeah that right lighter culture so we're building a new culture awesome and uh everybody's reading list will be in the show notes from your blog yeah, post right I'm happy to share it all right you guys cool come back and do it again <laughs> absolutely anytime peace plants Those women are amazing. I really think they're changing the world and I hope that you enjoyed our conversation. Definitely go to lighter.world to learn more. And while you're there, visit my profile for customized eating recommendations for you. As always, make a point of visiting the show notes on the episode page at richroll.com for this episode. Tons of stuff to learn more about Micah and Alexis and Lighter. And don't forget to sign up for my newsletter in addition to weekly podcast updates. Uh, you'll get exclusive access to something I call Roll Call, which is just a really short email every Thursday with some instructive recommendations and resources, just a couple things I've discovered, enjoyed, and found helpful. Uh, I'm not going to spam you, so if it sounds like something you might be into, you can sign up for it at richroll.com. Of course, for all your plant power merch and swag needs, go to richroll.com. I've got signed copies of Finding Ultra and the Plant Power Way. We've got cool t-shirts, tech tees, all kinds of cool stuff. I want to thank everybody who helped put on the show today. Jason Camiolo for all his audio engineering and production wizardry. Thank you so much, Jason. Sean Patterson for help on graphics. Chris Swan for additional production assistance and for help compiling the show notes and theme music by Analemma. Thanks for all the support, you guys. And I'm going to leave you with one final thought. If there is one theme 
to this episode, it's that we're all more powerful than we allow ourselves to believe. That one person indeed holds the power to change the world. So what is the one thing you can look at that you can identify, that you can take action on that holds the potential to shift your consciousness and impact those around you to create a positive ripple effect of higher consciousness? Give me a shout on Twitter or Facebook and let me know, and I'll see you guys back here next week. Make it great. Peace. Plants. Yeah.